All right, you can turn in your Bibles uh, to Revelation chapter 1. We're taking our text this morning from verses 9 through 20. And uh, as we get ready to get there, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day that you have given us. Lord, there is none like you. You are indeed indescribable. Lord, who but you could tell the stars where to be and that you know them by name, that you assign each bolt of lightning where it is to be. You're the one who fills the clouds both with snow and with rain. Lord, we're just reminded as you spoke to Job, where were you when you laid the foundations of the earth? And just with that in mind, we pray this morning, God, as we just spend time in your word that we would be able to see you. Just reminded of the scriptures to where the men who came and say we would see Jesus. And that's what we pray this morning, Lord, that we see you. That we experience you through the word that describes how majestic you really are that we would be awestruck with the very thought. Give us the ability to see in just a tiny glimpse of what John must have seen as he saw the risen, glorified Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen. All right. Last week we began the book of Revelation, introduced to it with the understanding that the study of this book uh, brings a promise to those who hear it, those who uh, read it, but most important for those who actually do what it says. As a matter of fact, you probably can't expect much of a blessing unless you are going to do what it says. We discussed again this morning in, in our Sunday school class that the idea of contentment and blessed is to really the way that we are blessed, the way that we find our joy, the way we find our contentment for the believer is when we are doing the word of God. Is If we are not involved in doing what the word of God says, actually we're not going to be a very blessed people because you are going to be in conflict with what the word of God says. And we find ourselves, you know, uh, just torn between the world and so... If you want a blessing out of this, and I tell you, I, I, just in my study of it, I'm blessed. Uh, I, I love approaching the fact that the Bible says that the one who reads this book is blessed. And so, and, and reading it aloud and speaking that, there's a blessing I anticipate from the Lord when we do this. We also learned that this book says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ to his church the things that are soon to take place. And we discuss that meaning, we understand that the last days, when the Bible talks about the last days, the last days began with the first advent of Jesus Christ. So we have been in the last days from the first advent of when Christ came on this earth and we have just been progressing and say, well, that's a long time. Yeah, that's about 2,000 years that we've been in that time frame. But listen, in the scope of eternity, that is nothing. But one of the things that we will find as we walk through this scripture is, 
as that we see these things that are transpiring. And just, I told you last week that when it says that it is soon, it means that it's that it is actually happening right now. His return is in progress right now. And what we're seeing, especially in our day, we are seeing just what Jesus said concerning his return, that it is going to be like a woman in travail. In other words, a woman who is giving birth, and it is going to get uh, quicker. The pains will become quicker, and they will become more intense as it gets closer and closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, I'm going to tell you what, if, if again, I will say this, if you're not paying attention to the world stage and understanding that these things are happening at a very quickening pace and that's why the Lord says we don't have to be completely ignorant about when he's coming we don't know the day or the hour but we certainly can look at some of the seasons around us and tell amen unless you live in Alabama and you don't know what season it is I mean when you can be 76 degrees one day and a couple of days later you're having snow flurries it's like that is wrong all right, now back to this. Jesus gives John a very, very clear command to write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which are shall be hereafter. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19 tells us that. And we're really, what John is writing now, he is writing about the things that he has seen. And John is privy to have seen some things that really is what we were singing about with Chris Tomlin, indescribable. He does the very best that he can in describing the picture of the Lord. I, I think as John would see, he saw a lot like Isaiah, and he says, and I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And he says, woe is me, for I am undone. John writes these things for our benefit, for our blessing. And in this morning's text, we're going to be focusing on the things that John has seen. In particular, we're going to see the glory of Christ revealed. We have two main points. First, we see the glory of Christ revealed in suffering. And second, we see the glory of Christ revealed in his church. The glory of Christ revealed in his suffering and the glory of Christ revealed in his church. Now we find the glory of Christ revealed in suffering in verses 9 and 11. And let me read those to you and then we'll go back and kind of unpack this. Now, again, as we study through this book, there are going to be a, there is a lot of uh, symbolism. Uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, things that we say, man, this may be hard to understand, but we will walk through this. And sometimes God will say something and turn right around and tell us exactly what he meant. And that will be some of what we see this morning. But we see the glory of Christ revealed in his suffering, starting with verse 9. He says, I, John, who also am your brother, a companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in the book and send it unto me, the seven churches or which in Asia, unto Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamos and to Thyatira and to Sardis 
and into Philadelphia, and into Laodicea. So the glory of Christ revealed in suffering. And, and again, you know, if, we, if we're going to say, what, what, is the main, what is the main point this morning? What is, what is the proposition that we would want to see from the scripture this morning? I want us to see Christ glorified. Uh, we, we want to be able to see Jesus for who he is now. I think sometimes we, we get caught up in seeing Jesus from just the perspective of being the crucified Christ, or we see Jesus as the one who walked in Palestine and, and healing, and we see Jesus and maybe even as the, the resurrected Christ, but what we need to see Jesus as this morning as the glorified Christ. Because that is ultimately how we're going to see. Well, one of the first things that we learn about suffering with Christ and his glory revealed in that is that suffering in Christ is an equal opportunity. It's not limited. We find this in what Paul says, or what John says, John, an apostle who he had a, a personal interaction with the Lord while on this earth. I mean, think about John. John was the one who says he was the one whom Jesus loved. We have the picture of John who, who is laying his head on the bosom of his friend. He had a very intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ while on this earth. And yet what we find is John in this, he is saying, Hey, I want you to know that I consider myself simply as a brother with you. Can I tell you this morning, there is to be no hierarchy within the body of Christ. There's not to be somebody who is up here and then there's the rest of you down here. As a matter of fact, we'll study that as we walk through the, where the Lord says, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, those who are against the layperson. It is a dangerous place, and John says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I am suffering just like you are. Now, we don't grasp that in our country because we're not persecuted in this country like many of our brothers and sisters are persecuted across the world today. And in this day, there was terrible persecution that was going against the church. And John is making it very clear. He says, I want you to know that I am your brother. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and it is that family relationship where his glory is revealed to the rest of the world, his church. You think about that. What a testimony the church is to be to the world. That there is no great and there is no small. That we're to be a people that are a family of God, and in that, he is glorified. John further states that he is their companion. Well, what was he a companion of? Let me, there are several things here that we see in these three verses that he is a companion of them. He says that he is a companion in tribulation. Now, this is not to be confused with the tribulation that is to come. It, it is saying that he is simply in times of trouble. When we see that John the Apostle was not exempt from tribulation on this earth, we should not expect to be exempt from troubles and tribulation in this world ourselves. Now again, I think that we have become so comfortable in the church in the United States of America that we just don't grab that concept that there is trouble. 
Now, can I tell you, though, things are changingly rapidly on the landscape of this country. I was listening to, to Pete Buttigieg. You guys know who he is? A major contender for the president on uh, the Democratic side. And there was a lady who come up and, and said this. She, she was a, a Democrat herself. She says, but I am a pro-life Democrat. Uh, I want to know what is your stance? Would you be inclusive of us as Democrats who are pro-life? And he says, basically, his answer was no. He says, I'm pro-choice, and I'm, I'm pro-choice that the woman makes the choice that would include up to the ninth month to murder a baby in the womb. And, and you say, well, what does this have to do with this? Folks, I'm telling you, the landscape is changingly rapidly in our country. And it's changing rapidly in the church because there are many in the church who are afraid to make a statement that the Bible says is sinful and they would rather make a politically correct statement or avoid the statement at all. And those who do may find themselves in jeopardy. John understood this. You see, he was a companion with them in tribulation. He was not exempt from the troubles that came in this world. Christ told us he says there's going to be tribulation in this world. John 16, 33 says this. He says, you're going to have trouble in the world. He says, but be of good cheer because I have, what? I've overcome the world. Now, John understood that. But he wanted his readers to understand, listen, I am a companion with you. I am not exempt from the problems of this world. I am not exempt from the persecution of this world. He further says that he is a companion in the kingdom. John sees himself as a fellow servant in the kingdom of our Lord. Listen, that's, I've told you guys this, man, I'm a pastor, but that's just, that's, I'm just a pastor, but I'm like you. I'm just a, I'm a, a sojourner with you. I am a pilgrim with you. I am walking through this world headed to a kingdom that is already established. And I am a citizen of that kingdom. And John was trying to get that across to his people. Do not become so attached to this world. We are co-heirs. We are co-citizens, not of this world, but in the kingdom of God. And if God's people could just grab that concept, listen, life is short. I was talking to Darren coming in, and he was just telling me, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a military guy. We, we understand that, and we understand, too, that he was just telling me that about uh, somebody else, who, who another veteran who, who attempted to take his life. 22 veterans a day. Listen, and, and until you grab hold of the fact that we are sojourners, life is short. James says life is like a vapor. It's here one moment. It's gone the next Brothers and sisters, don't think your citizenship belongs here. It belongs somewhere else. And John wanted them to understand that. Listen, he knew that they were going through tribulation. He knew they were going through difficult days. And he says, don't dwell so much on what's happening here. Think about where your citizenship really lies. Not only was he a companion in the kingdom, but he was a companion in patience. And that word we need to understand is a little bit different than just patience. The word meaning is not, it's, it's dealing with being up under the pressure of the circumstances of this world. He says, I'm under a lot of pressure, folks. I know you are too, and I'm a companion in that with you. Life is difficult. 
He says, I want you to know I'm right there with you. I'm a companion with you as these, these circumstances of life seem to be pressing down on you so much that you feel at times as, as your life is being squeezed out of you. I want you to know I am with you. I'm a companion with you in this all. Those who suffer together form a bond that goes beyond the superficial. I think any of us that have ever gone through any circumstance in life where we have had to go through tough times together, there is a bond that is built out of that, right? John wanted them to know that. He says, listen, this is drawing us closer together. We are companions in this. We're a family in this. We're, we're citizens together in this. None of us will get out of this life without tribulation in our life. You know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news on that, but here's the, I want to be the bearer of good news on that. Just as Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And the Bible says that we are more than conquerors. Right? Now, John further receives a command from the Lord. And he's given that command while he is in confinement. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? You know, we, we like to, you know, if, if, you're, if you're into all the, uh, the health and wealth, then really you need to take another look and take a look and see what the heroes of the Bible were like. They didn't have health and wealth. As a matter of fact, they often forfeited everything they had for the cause of Christ. And that's where John is at. He receives a commandment from the Lord. He says, listen, we would like to think, man, he was living the posh life. Right? I mean, he had sent his, his seed gift in, right? And he had gotten all sorts of blessings back. That's not what it says, right? As a matter of fact, when he's writing this letter, he is on a place called the Isle of Patmos. Now, we need to understand that this was not a vacation resort island. This was a penal island. It was a prison island. That's where he is at when he writes this. But get this, not only is it an island that he is prisoners, it's a labor prison. It was difficult and hard for those that were there. Now keep this in mind, John was 90 years of age when he was imprisoned. Listen, imprisoned, he says, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That was his crime, is that he had a testimony about Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say that there are a couple of things that this tells me. John certainly was willing to suffer for the cause because he knew that it would glorify his Lord. And can I say this too, that at 90 years old, as a man who is, you know, he's, he's not out there just, you know, he doesn't have a plus job. Every indication is there is that he is under harsh labor at 90. Can I tell you what? I don't care how old you are, there's a place in ministry for you. John's at that point was writing. But think about the blessings that we receive out of this now. Further goes on to say that that day that he was in the spirit. Now let me say this. This is the exception to the rule of how God communicates with us. Don't take something that, that is unique and say that is the way that God speaks to us all today, right? I haven't had a vision. 
I don't anticipate getting a vision because the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse, verses 1 and 2, it says that he speaks to us now through his son. Further, he says, 2 Peter 1.19 tells us that we have a more sure word of prophecy. John chapter 16 and verse 13 tells us that the Holy Spirit leads us into truth. And you say, well, I like that idea that the Holy Spirit is going to lead me into truth. Cool. I just want the Holy Spirit to lead me. Great. Let me tell you how he does that. We find that in John chapter 17, 17. He says, thy word is truth. You want to be led by the Holy Spirit? Get in the Bible. And become obedient to what the Bible says. And you will be led by the Spirit of God. So it's an exception when he has this vision that comes to him. It's on the Lord's Day. It was, it was a Sunday that this happens to him. I, I tried to imagine what it must have been like for John as he's, he's there. And I'm sure it says, the, you know, the guards were probably said, hey, John, it's Sunday. Take off a little time and go and worship your God. Not likely. No Sundays off. No time off. Just hard labor at 90 years old. And God comes down. Folks, I want you to grab this. God comes down and visits with his people sometimes in the direst of circumstances. And he meets us at our most critical points in life and gives us a clear vision of who he is. I can't tell you of the people who have gone through trying times in their lives, whether it's sickness, whether it is hardship, and they will all come back and say, man, God proved himself and showed himself so faithful. I can't describe how that God brought me through that time. Folks, John was in that position. And if we have this idea in our minds that God only comes to us when in the good times, I would say that God comes to us in the direst of times with purpose. You see, he's glorified in our suffering. It's on the spirit. He is up in the spirit that day. He's caught up in some way that we can't really even grasp. The words try to tell us this a little bit, describing what Jesus is like. But he's, he hears this. He hears this voice that says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He is the omniscient God. He is the all-knowing God. He is aware of the circumstances of the church. He is aware of the circumstances of John. And dare say, I, this morning, that he is aware of your circumstances. You see, he is the Alpha and the Omega. And we talked about that last week, that that meant that the first letter of the alphabet, the last better letter of the alphabet, and that all knowledge rests in between those two places. He is the all-knowing God. Nothing here that you're going through this morning that he is not aware of. Nothing that John was going through that he was not aware of, that he not, had not sovereignly allowed John to go through. And in the midst of that, he cries out to him and he commands John to write to the seven churches. Now, that's where we're going to be over the next several weeks about the churches, but we just need to understand. So here are these seven churches in Asia Minor, and it, and it begins in Ephesus, and then we just go in a, in a clockwise direction around, and each of these churches Christ is going to be addressing. And, and he has these letters sent to these churches because they were key cities, 
And out of those cities, all the news traveled. And so he sends them to these key locations so that these letters could be read to all of the churches. Now, how would you like this? And just to give you a little preview, that the Lord would come down and write to Westside Baptist Church the good and the bad and the ugly and then have every other church in Alabama read what's going on on Westside. Because that's exactly what's going to happen with the rest of the churches. And he says, I want you to write these letters, John. And I want you to send them to the churches. Why does he do it? Because he's glorified in it. And that takes us to the glory of Christ revealed in his church. Now let me pause. Suffering is part of the Christian life. I remember years ago, and I mean years ago, when I went to ranger school. And I had one of the ranger instructors tell me that, he says, when you walk out of this place, you're going to walk with your head held high. And he says, the reason you walk out with your your head held high is because you will have learned what it is to be treated like a worm. And I'm going to tell you what, that was the truth. You got treated rough. But when you came out of there, you had a different view. Can I tell you something? You may be treated rough in this world. You may be suffering in this world. You may be having a hard time in this world. But dear saint, one day you will be like him. The Bible says that the world was not worthy of those godly men and women. You grab that? Do you see how he loves you this morning? That he may allow this period in your life that is tough and difficult, but ultimately it's for his glory and for your good. Amen? Amen. Then we get to the church, verses 12 through 20. Let's read that together. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about by the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, and as as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, and they burned in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the uh, angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. See, he just describes and tells us what some of these things are. We'll go into depth a little bit on these now. He says that he is in the midst of the golden candlesticks. It is here we see Christ standing in the midst of the golden candlesticks. 
And verse 20 that we just read tells us that this picture of the golden candlesticks are the churches. Think about this this morning. That Jesus Christ says he is standing in the middle of his church. Let me, let me back up. Think about what I just said. Do you realize that Christ is in the midst of the church? That Christ is in the midst of this church? He says, I'm there. That's where I'm at. That is where I am glorified. We were driving down to see our uh, uh, youngest daughter and our grandchildren, a couple of our grandchildren this weekend, or Friday. And uh, like most times, I, I mean, we go down and, you know, we visited and then it's all right, we're coming back. I mean, at a 24-hour time span, we got it all done. Ann looked at me. She says, I saw you've already got things packed up. She goes, I guess that's a hint you're ready to go. Uh, so we were down there and back. But on the way down there, I, I noticed several things. There would be a, a place off somewhere saying so-and-so ministry here or such-and-such ministry over here. It's like farm. I, I saw one of them, you know, caught my mind. Farm ministries. And I thought, what? Farm ministries? How about the Church of Jesus Christ ministry? How about people quit leaving the church and get in the church where Christ is in the middle of it? Rather than go out and try and create something that is never meant to be. Amen? I don't read that God is in the middle of some ministry because somebody got their feelings hurt in a church service and decided that they go on and start their own thing. That's why I'm against a lot of the different... I remember somebody, what are you going to be? One time, you know, I cowboyed for a living, and people called me the cowboy preacher, and then I rode a motorcycle, they wanted to call me the, the biker preacher, and I says, can I just be the pastor of the church? Can you not pigeonhole me and tell me that I have to be some type of person to minister to certain types of people? Can we get away from the idea that there needs to be a cowboy church and a biker church? Can we get to the idea that says there's a church of Jesus Christ and all people from all segments of society are to come in and worship that same God there? You see, that's where Jesus is in the middle of. And he says, John, I want you to see this, that I am in the middle of the church. And he describes the church, these candlesticks, he says, they're golden. Listen, precious in the sight of Christ is the church. Gold was highly valued, pure, and we need to understand that the church was purchased with his own blood. You see, he values you because when we talk about the church we're talking about us we're not talking about this building we're talking about the body and he says i want you to know john i see her as valuable i see her as pure the church is meant to be a light into the world these candlesticks gave light God placed them right where they're to be. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you understand this morning, church, that God has placed his church in a community to be a light to that church, to that community? 
one we don't put our light under a bushel, right? We used to sing that one as kids. Second thing that we see in verse 13 is we see this picture of Christ. Not only is he in the middle of the church, but we see how he is dressed. John turns around and he sees this magnificent, glorious picture of Christ. And he is dressed in a white robe with a golden sash around him. And it's important that we understand that this robe that he is wearing is to be seen as the robe that the high priest would wear. That's the purpose of it. The, the, the exact same description is given from what the high priest would wear as, as the great high priest. And we know this, that only the high priest was able to enter into the Holy of Holies once a year. But in Christ, he has access to the Father eternally. And so what we see with him wearing this, this is that Christ is our high priest, and he lives forever to make intercession for you and for me. You see, not only is the Lord in the middle of the church, Jesus Christ is making intercession for you and me right now. If he weren't, we would not stand a chance. But he wants John to see that John sees us, this glorious Christ making intercession for us. We see that Christ purifies the church in verses 14 through 15. Christ has called his church to be holy, to be perfect. First Peter chapter 1 verses 15 and 16 tells us this. Be ye holy because I am holy. Matthew 5, 48 says that we need to be perfect even as our Father in heaven is perfect. We should have a holy fear of our Lord. I don't think that we do sometimes. That we don't fear the Lord as we should fear the Lord. He calls for a standard of dying to sin and Submitting to the Holy Spirit. You see, sin is to be confronted in the church. Church discipline, if needed, is to be done because he demands purity in the church. We'll see as we walk through the scriptures and how that the Lord rebukes the church for letting the world come into the church for letting sexual immorality slip into the church. And oh my, how it has. Worldliness. Now let me just say this though, because it's easy to go, yeah, it has. But can I tell you what, that, that worldliness begins in the home. And then it walks into the church on a Sunday morning. But again, the church is the people. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about just coming in. You know how the, how the worldliness comes into the church? It's because God's people let worldliness into their lives and then they walk in to worship. It's a call for us to say, denying ourselves and submitting to the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you that we, we, we haven't, we don't, we don't recognize it, I'll put it that way. We don't recognize it. That God 
takes a very hard view of unrepentant sin amongst his people. And you say, well, I don't know about that. What about grace? Well, there is grace. But I want you to think about Ananias and Sapphira for a moment. When they lied unto the Holy Spirit, which is God. And God struck them dead. How about Hophni? Oh, offering strange fire to the, God, to the Lord. God struck him dead. How about where Paul says some of you are asleep, a euphemism for dying, and many of you are sick because you have taken the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. You see, God takes a very serious view of sin amongst his people. Why? Can I, can I tell you this? It may hurt your feelings. It isn't about you. It's about his glory. And he says, I don't share my glory with anyone. It's my glory. And you should not taint my glory. It says that his hair was white as snow. It's a reference to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. It's a reference to the ancient of days sitting in judgment. We need to see who Jesus is. He's God. He's God. And he is the ancient of days. He is the one who sets in judgment. And the Bible says that his eyes were a flaming fire. Is what it says here. Can I say this morning, there is nothing, nothing, nothing hidden from his fiery gaze. The Lord will not recognize to fail and deal with sin in his church. Can I tell you what? There are a lot of dying little churches everywhere. There are a lot of dying big churches places too. And the reason is, is because they refuse to bow to the authority and glory of Almighty God. It says his voice and his feet, voice like many waters, his feet were like bronze, brass. They symbolize his absolute authority in dealing with sin in the church. The church is to pay attention to his word as absolute authority and not as the passing fantasies of so many that have some new revelation from the Lord. Stay away from those type sayings. I see them all the time on Facebook. Be careful. Listen, and if this is you, look, hear, hear what I say and hear that I'm saying this with a, with a pastor's heart. Where I see these things that say, and the Lord is saying to you, you've had a rough year. The Lord is saying to you, good times are coming. Who are you to presume you speak for the Lord? Can I get an amen? amen. Who, who, do you, who do you think you are? If you're going to say the Lord speaks, then pick a book, a chapter, and a verse and say it with authority. Thus saith the Lord. Amen. Not my words, his words. Because I can look at you and say, hey, and Ann made a good point. Man, I can look at you and say, look, I know you've had a hard time this year. I can encourage you by saying, look, God loves you. And he does know where you're at. 
but I can't presume to say what God is going to do in your life. Right? I think that grieves the Lord. I think it angers him when people flippantly choose that. I'm amazed sometimes, too, that, man, I, I see so much of that, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I don't even know who they are half the time. I just read them, you know. I, I get a lot of stuff out there, but be careful because take the time to dig into the Word of God and encourage somebody with the Word of God. Amen. Right? Amen. For the amount of time it takes, I've, I've never posted a meme. I don't even know how to do it. I mean, some of them are cool. I like them. But take the time to look at the Scripture and encourage them with the actual Word of God. Right? Christ is in control of his church. The stars, he says, the stars that he's holding in his hand are the pastors of those churches. That's a comforting thought to me. That God says, I hold, I hold a pastor in my hand. Now, it's not that he's necessarily protecting them as he holds them in his hand. It is that Christ controls the pastors and he uses them to accomplish his purpose in their overwatch of the church. Do you know what I would covet from you? Is that you would pray that God would use me for his glory. That you would pray for me that I would not fall to sin. See, again, I'm like John. I'm one of you. I'm not elevated. The only thing that's elevated in this church and must be is Jesus Christ and his word. Not the, not the man. Pray for me. I, I need that. Pray for your pastors. They need prayer. He says, out of the mouth comes a sharpened, two-edged sword. It's the word of God. We go through and study that, that. It's the word of God is that sharp sword that comes out. Christ will use his word to protect the church from her enemies to include those in the church. You know, it's sad sometimes in the church, you know this, did you know this, that there are enemies inside the church? Did you know there are tares in the church? Did you know there are wolves in the church that masquerade as sheep? That's what the Bible says. Now then, let me just say this, and sometimes they don't even know they're wolves, and sometimes they don't even know that they're tares. But God does. It's a warning. God says that he will take that sword and he will use it to destroy the enemies of his church. Don't mistake patience for a blind eye to sin. says his brilliance shines through the church, radiated. It is the church that demonstrates the glory of Christ in their communities. Man, if the church could just get the concept of living holy and righteous in their communities, and that people would be able to say, man, there's a difference in you, what is it? And then we're given that opportunity to share what we believe. His brilliance demonstrated in his church. His glory revealed through his church. We're teaching through on Wednesday nights the roles of 
pastors and deacons and really even the church. Can I tell you that one, no, let me tell you, your job as a member of a church is ministry for the glory of God. The church has got to get past this idea that you are spectators. You're not spectators, you are participants. Christ, our assurance. Look at verses 17 and 19. We'll close with this. And I saw him, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet, and I laid it. Uh, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am him that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. Here we find Christ, our assurance. <laughs> so good. We see John, though, when he sees who the Lord is, he falls before the Lord as though he were dead. So much for the nonsense that we hear about so often, all the books that come out about how that people see Jesus. Oh, I had, a, I had a water, you know, we played in the water in the river of life. Hogwash. Nonsense. And you say, what's your authority on that? My authority on that is the word of God. Because every time that we see somebody who comes in contact with the risen Christ have the same reaction, they fall before him in absolute and utter fear. That's why Isaiah said, I am undone. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. John, the servant who rested his head on Christ's chest, and said he was the one Christ loved. When he sees that glorified Christ, he falls in fear before him. But take note what the Lord does. <laughs> he reaches down and touches his servant and he says, John, fear not. Now, let me, let me tell you what I think here. I believe there will be a day that we won't fall before him in fear. I believe there will be a day that we will rejoice in his very presence and glorify him because we will be in a glorified state ourselves. But what I'm saying is on this side of eternity, every man that I see that saw the Lord and this side of death, they all had the same reaction. They couldn't stand in the presence of the glorified God. So be careful what you hear and what you believe. Understand that the devil says he comes as an angel of light. Amen? Let's go back to what the Bible says and not what the latest trend our book is. And this book says that he falls down, but he gives him assurance. He turns that fear into assurance. It says, listen, John, I am alive. And John, I hold the keys of eternity. And I hold the keys of life. 
And here's the thing, John. You don't have to be afraid because I'm alive, which guarantees, John, you will live forever. And John, you don't have to worry about going to hell because I control eternity. And I want to assure you of this. And so as you're suffering on this island, John, I want you to know when I call you home, you will see me and I will be glorified and I will glorify you. That's a great thought, isn't it? I don't know what that experience is going to be like. But except the rapture happens, we'll all face it. And the Bible says you will face it in one of two ways. You will either face it with the hand of God on you, reassuring you that you are his. Or you will face it with that same God saying, depart from me, I never knew you. No in-betweens. But until that day, we as a church need to understand that he's glorified in our sufferings. And he calls us to suffer with him. And by the way, when we suffer, our Lord is suffering with us. He's there with us. And that the best way that we can glorify God is by the living, breathing, active body of Christ. Not independent, doing our own thing, but working as a unified body. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We pray, God, that you will take your word, which is alive and active, quicken it to our lives, make us to see it. Holy Spirit, we rely upon you this morning to take the feeble and broken words of this pastor and take your live and your live and active word and, and Lord, make it real in our hearts. Help us to see you as the glorified Christ who was and is and is to come, the Alpha and the Omega. And God, may your word this morning boom like many waters. May it echo in our hearts and our minds as we leave this place. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said.